Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Sally Couture and I serve as an elder here and I am so glad you've chosen to join us. Whether you are here in the room with us or joining us online, we extend a very warm welcome. If you would like to connect, we would encourage you to either text the number that is on the screen, visit our website, or say hello in the chat if you are worshiping online. Would you please join me in the call to worship? Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is mindful of his covenant forever, of the word that he commanded for thousand generations. Let us sing our praises to the Lord. Would you please join me in prayer? Great and loving God, we come before you emptied of all that would distract, seeking all that would redeem. Let these moments not become so routine as to be predictable, nor so familiar as to be conventional. Prepare us for the unexpected. Open us to the movement of the Holy Spirit in praise of our Savior. Almighty God, giver of every good and perfect gift, forgive us for ignoring your gifts, misusing your gifts, even abusing your gifts. We repent of our feelings of entitlement, of our lack of generosity, of our ingratitude. Forgive us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Friends, hear our words you can trust, words that merit full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins and resolve to lead a new life, he says, your sins are forgiven. He also says, follow me. Now to the one who rules all worlds, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory 
forever and ever. Amen. beautiful. Will you please join me once again in prayer? Dear Lord, we come to you this morning humbly asking for your forgiveness. We recognize that we are so caught up in our own lives that we don't see others' needs. We tend to be concerned only for our family, our town, our state, our country. We know we need to pray globally and recognize that you love the entire world equally. Help us to see and care for the world as you do. Father, many of us are fearful as this pandemic continues to increase. Help us to be responsible and do our part to help stop the spread. Please be with those who have contracted COVID. Help them to recover swiftly and fully. Lord, we pray for those who have lost a family member or a friend to this disease. Be with them in their grief. We know grief also can come with the loss of employment, school changes, or family celebrations that have been canceled or postponed due to COVID. Help us to work through this grief in all its forms and feel your presence. Father, the lessons we have learned in Romans over the past few weeks force us to look past our own needs and see our neighbor's needs. Give us opportunities to reach out to those who look different voted differently or view issues differently than we do and find a way to love them just as you. 
Paul says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We are living in a time where we need to do this more and more every day. As we continue to battle this pandemic, face racial unrest, and cope with economic and political problems, remind us that none of this is new to you. You have seen this world through these problems and others over and over and over. We take comfort in knowing this. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to shape us into more loving and faithful people through these trying times. And now we join our voices together to pray as Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our as we forgive those. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving is coming. The weather has definitely made it clear that we are in fall now. Um, and Thanksgiving is one of my favorite, favorite holidays. I love the food and being with family, not stressing about shopping for presents. But I'm sure, like a lot of you, Thanksgiving looks a little different this year. And um, we always have a church service, and this year it's going to look a little different also. We will still be offering a Thanksgiving service, but it will be an online service. There will be a Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving as well as Thursday morning. Um, and we will have a wonderful message from our senior pastor, Dan Meyer. The worship team's been putting together just wonderful music, and even our family team has been setting up special ways for families to um, engage their children and students in worship. We hope you will join us. And if you can't come to our, join us on that Wednesday night or Thursday morning, the message will also be available on our website. Well, as a church, we are continuing to find creative ways to create spaces um, to worship and to gather and to grow our faith. And um, today we are introducing the newest members of Christ Church. Membership um, is you take a, a series of classes where you learn about the theology of our church as well as understanding the practices and ways to connect. And we want to recognize um, and honor this commitment that these people have made. Myself, a few staff members, and other elders joined our new members on a Zoom call about a month ago, and we helped begin that affirmation process with them. Here's a video of our time together. Okay. Dear friends, these good people before you today have petitioned the Board of Elders for reception into the membership of this congregation. They have attended classes and engaged in personal reflection aimed at increasing their understanding of the Bible and the practical principles by which this congregation carries on its life. They are committing themselves to the way of Jesus and are giving over of their time, talents, and resources to partner with God's work through Christ Church. They now present themselves to you, the people of this church, for final review and reception. All right, folks, you ready? Here we go. Remembering that Jesus has said, everyone who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I invite you now to publicly profess your Christian faith and commit to this church in response to the following questions. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ's only Son and Lord, in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Do you? Yes. Do well. Do you confess your need of the forgiveness of your sins and with humble and contrite heart put your whole trust in the mercy of God and in the saving work of Jesus Christ our Lord? Do well. Do you heartily believe the teachings contained in the Old and New Testaments to be the one infallible rule of life and conduct and God's word to you? Yes. We will. 
that you promise to make diligent use of the means of grace, to continue in the peace and fellowship of the people of God, and with the aid of the Holy Spirit to be Christ's faithful disciple to your life's end. We will. We will. All right, now it's your turn. Would you please stand? Respond to the following question. Do you, the people of this congregation, receive these individuals into the membership of this body? And do you pledge to honor, love, and serve them as sisters and brothers in the Lord? If so, please answer, we do. do. Wonderful, let's celebrate. There might be some in the room with us today. If you are interested in becoming a part of our church family and membership, please um, go to our website or follow the link on the screen. Those of you with us may be seated. Well, just as we celebrated the new members, at this time we would also like to celebrate and recognize another commitment. Over the past few months, we have had over 20 first-time givers. And just like becoming a member is a way of showing a desire to serve God and others, giving financially shows trust and commitment to God. We celebrate those of you that have taken this step and reached out to give for the first time. I can't remember exactly when I first started giving. I know when my husband and I got married, it was probably the time where we made a real you know, conscious effort, but I'm not sure I truly understood how important that was until much later. Last week, I was really struck by something Allie Noble said while she was introducing the offering and generosity time at the contemporary service. She said, God has equipped each of us to be a unique blessing to each other. Whatever way you give, whatever way you serve, you are on a journey with God in the act of changing lives. And that has stuck with me all week long. What an honor it is to be on a journey with God in the act of changing lives as we collect God's tithes and our offerings.
Well, friends, good morning. I'm glad to see you this morning, either whether you're at home or here in the sanctuary. It's good to be together today. I'm Dave Bianchin. I'm on the pastoral care staff here at the church, and it's my privilege to bring God's Word to us this morning. So would you join me, please, in a brief moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us this journey through Romans chapter 12, and that it has instructed Christians of all ages and in all times, and we pray, Lord, today that you will continue to instruct us, uh, warm our hearts to your purposes, and fire us up, Lord, to be your people in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are wrapping up the uh, series of 1221 today, and I want to just do a quick review because it's important, because we're going to kind of bring this all together, especially toward the end of the sermon. And I hope, as we do, that you'll see this as a beginning and not an ending. I, I know we feel that way about all of our sermon series, but this has been an important one as we've looked collectively about what's going on in our country, to bring it down, funnel it, if you will, to the point we, we, where we continue to reflect upon and grow in the things that you and I can do as Christ's disciples in the world. Dan encouraged us at the very beginning of the series not to be conformed to this world, but instead to be conformed to the pattern of God's kingdom and brought to us the concept of taking a purposeful pause before we act in the world. And then the second week, we looked at keeping a perspective at the variety of multiple gifts in the body and, and how bringing all these gifts together is important because divisions grieve the Holy Spirit and, and weaken the church. But when we are together and value each other's gifts, God works through us in a very powerful way. We're called to care about the common good. And last week, Dan reminded us to advance our convictions with charity uh, in the internal life leading into the public life that we're around as well. So today, we're going to look at what it means to bring those together in our lives and some of the practices that you and I engage in in our world. Now, I looked around the, the country in the last week, the last two weeks, the two weeks after the election. Uh, people are still on edge. People are still uncertain. We are uncertain. What's the future going to be like? COVID is rearing its head again in some mighty and very negative ways. And so we're still in a situation in the world where not everything is, is really settled and moving ahead smoothly, as if it ever really is, right? But I also look to the Bible, and I see in the Bible a God who can meet those challenges and who invites us to have that assurance in faith that God can work through us in mighty ways in ways that we can't on our own. But I also see a God who desires to work through us in the world and so you and I are invited to take a faithful response, not as, as just bystanders, but as people who are engaged in not only the world around us, but also in the purposes of God for that. So the question today is, how, how do we stay fresh? How do we live effectively for the intense, intensity of the seasons we're in now and for the long haul in our lives? It's interesting to note as I read through the chapter that Paul switches back and forth from a couple different perspectives. He looks in the first two verses at a universal perspective on God's work in the world. And then in verses three through eight to a more personal perspective on our relationships with other people and then brings it back again in the last part in nine through 21 to the universal issues, which reminds us that we are part of a larger story that it's not just our lives that we're thinking about. We're part of a larger story, but we each have a part to play in that larger story of redemption. It's bigger than us, much bigger than us, and yet it involves us. So Paul challenges us to consider three movements of life in which we may or may not be doing well with. He challenges us by saying, first of all, that our attitude can be too casual. Our actions can be too lukewarm, and our ambition can be too narrow. So with those thoughts in mind, let's look at just a couple of verses uh, for our text today. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, and then verse 21. Paul writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'd like to look at that from the aspect of three different words today, our attitude, our actions, and then our ambition. 
Paul says, first of all, that our attitude should be this, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Now, I got to say that I think that begins as a problem for many of us because most of us try to live our lives on a pretty even keel. We want things to be steady. We love it when things are predictable. And so our, our understanding of zeal can be pretty internal. If you saw the introductory video to the sermon this week, Tracy Bianchi asked the question, what's my passion? What's your passion? And when Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor, he's inviting us to something more than just kind of the easy steadiness of life. There's a passion involved in serving God. This word fervor, we don't use it very much. Zeal, we don't use it very much. But I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean fitting Jesus in around the edges of our lives. It doesn't mean serving Christ only when it's convenient. It doesn't mean that our faith is one thing among many other things that are part of our lives. When we talk about fervor and zeal, this indicates a focus and a passion, a passion and a willingness to risk that supersedes every other thing in our lives. It means truly wrestling with our sin. It means giving them to God. It means facing the reality when we get apathetic and saying to God, Lord, I need you to fire me up again. And this is the energy that empowers and powers our life or doesn't if we're not seeking it. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but new believers energize any group or church that they're in in amazing ways. I mean, they're fired up to get to know Jesus. Think back with me to the, the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And Jesus takes this walk with two unnamed disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're just kind of chatting with him about things. And then when he reveals himself to them in the breaking of bread, they look at each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the word to us? That's zeal, our hearts burning within us. I'll never forget the, the uh, question that was asked of John Wesley, the great evangelist and pastor. They said, why is it you're so effective in your preaching? And his answer was, because I ask the Holy Spirit to set me on fire and then people just come and watch me burn. I mean, that's zeal. That's what it means where people can visibly see in us what God is doing. I'd like to invite you to remember back to the early days in your walk with Christ and think about the desire that you had to know Jesus better. Think about the enthusiasm you had about serving Christ faithfully in the days that were given to you. Think of the anticipation that you had in terms of what God was doing and what God was going to do each and every day. And the eagerness that it brought to you and I in fellowshipping with other believers to say, how can we spur one another on to these love and good deeds? There was an excitement. There was an attitude. There was an eagerness and desire. And that's really the foundation of our lives, this attitude the desire to be close to Jesus in every minute, to be passionate about growing. Remember as Paul writes this, he had been a Christian some 25 years already and Paul is still burning with this passion for people to know Jesus. You and I know that we're passionate about many things in life. I hope that our faith brings that sort of passion, even embarrassingly open passion. Never flag in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor because faith is not just an attitude. Faith is a life-changing event in our lives and it's an opportunity then for our lives to be lived out in space and time, in this place and in this time with the love of Jesus empowering us. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. So what Paul says then is that that attitude needs to be backed up by certain actions, and I would say not just as a proving ground, but when these actions are backing up our attitude, it helps our attitude, it empowers our attitude, it fuels and renews and keeps us moving toward that fervor. So our action is to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and to be faithful in prayer. One of the commentaries pointed out that the Greek is very, very simple, and it says this, in hope, rejoicing in tribulation, enduring, in prayer, persevering. I love that simplicity. 
So let's look at each one of those. We're called to be joyful in hope. Now, you and I know that the hope that we have is something very important. It moves us toward a goal which is, which is eternal. It moves us toward that face-to-face relationship with Jesus. And so the hope that we have is one of the most powerful benefits of our faith because it gives us a vision for a destination that God has in mind for us, salvation, heaven, fellowship with Christ and other believers. But Peter says to us that this hope gives us not only an inheritance, but it gives us a joy. And it's to be lived out joyfully in this life. It's not just one of these grudging, drudging things that we're called to do. When we have hope, it frees us, it lights us up, it burns within us, and it makes our steps lighter in the world. Remember with me that as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in chapter 13, the great love chapter, he ended it by including not just love. He said, remember, these three things remain. In other words, are eternal, faith, hope, and love. He said the greatest of these is love, but faith and hope are eternal things that we can hold on to as well. So we're called to be joyful in that. The world does not have that joy. The world does not have that hope. And when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that relationship is the basis for our rejoicing. And even though we live in the world and it can be very, very difficult at times, the hope that we have and the joy that we have is really independent of our world's conditions. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but I do believe that it's true because our hope enables us to have an eternal perspective. We see the world around us differently. Our faith enables us to live in Holy Spirit power. We act out of strength then rather than out of weakness and fear or intimidation. Hope enables us to discern what's going on in the world around us and to make choices in regard to relationships and causes and commitments and priorities that honor God and follow God. And that hope also enables us to endure. And that brings us to Paul's second action. We're to be joyful in hope. We're called to be patient in affliction. Now, other languages translate the word affliction as trouble or suffering or anything that causes pain. Older translations call this tribulation. And patience is not just kind of an attitude of going with the flow. It means to continue to bear up despite those tribulations, despite any difficulty, despite suffering. It's a very powerful word. Now, let's just pause for a second and admit something. We don't love this affliction stuff, do we? I mean, nobody loves the tribulation. We don't enjoy the suffering that we have. And yet, God uses it in a very powerful way to shape us and to refine us in life. It's all over the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's all through church history that when the church has experienced persecution, when believers have experienced affliction, growth comes in ways that don't come when we are just going with an easy life. The problem with not embracing those is that we, we often live in such a way as to minimize its presence and its effect. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to challenge the status quo. We don't want to be seen as zealots. We don't want to move out of our comfort zones. And the price we pay when we're not willing to do that is that it reduces our passion. It reduces our zeal. Because when we're kind of hiding, when we're pushing back from embracing our faith publicly and being willing to live through the afflictions that we have, as our faith grows cold, it's not being tested. It's not being exercised. Affliction goes with zealousness because these seasons can be opportunities for growth. James wrote in the very first chapter of his letter, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Listen to that. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Afflictions become strengthening 
when we personally face those and patiently face those because patience is a faith-producing dynamic. It's not just enduring. It's creating something new in us. It's refining in us something. But the problem is that perseverance, as James wrote, needs to finish its work. We need to be willing to go all the way through with it. Just think about exercising. What happens in growing our muscles? How do our muscles get stronger? They get tested. Muscles get strengthened by, by being tested, by doing strength exercises, by, by running farther. Um, how do we learn perseverance if we never are challenged to do so? How do we grow muscle if it's not challenged? And the bad news is that we don't love these seasons. I understand that. I don't either. But the good news is when we're patient in affliction, God is working in them in a powerful, powerful way. Finally, Paul says we're called to be faithful in prayer. And I want to suggest that this has a lot more to do than just a daily checkoff from our to-do list. Did I pray today? Yep. Okay, I'm done. No, it means much more than that. It means coming with intensity, with a passion, with a regularity. I don't want to be too hard on us, but I also want to say this. Living the Christian life is too hard for us to do without faithful prayer. We need a perspective that prayer brings. We need the power that God wishes to unleash through the Holy Spirit. And we need a passion for the kingdom of God because unrelenting needs in our world demand relentless prayer. We're not going to overcome the problems and the pain that we feel if we're not coming to God's throne in every momentary opportunity, in every day that we live, and even in extended times of prayer. When was the last time you set aside an hour or two or even a whole morning or a whole day just to come before God's throne and ask God to strengthen you and ask God to change the world? I mean, God invites us to this, and those examples are all the way through Scripture. To be joyful in hope and to be patient in affliction requires faithfulness in prayer. We need to be connected to God. So these are the actions that support this spiritual fervor, this zeal. But I think there's one thing more, and I think it draws us back through the entire chapter, that it's not just enough to have our attitude one of, of spiritual fervor and our actions moving in this. We need to be looking toward something greater. And so I think what Paul ends with is an ambition. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our ambition needs to move beyond our salvation, beyond our spiritual health, into being citizens of the kingdom of God, adopting a perspective of the kingdom of God, and living then through all the things that we've preached through in the last four weeks of this chapter. The world needs God's kingdom openly staking their claim. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I stand in the world as bearers of God's grace and reconciliation. Because I want us to remember this, that God deeply loves us, but God doesn't love only us. God desires that all people come to faith. And that ambition of God's needs to be our ambition as well. That's why Christ died. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that we would experience this salvation and be empowered to live in the world as bearers of God's grace in order that all people may know and all people may experience and all people may come to Jesus. We have to confess, I think, that sometimes we're looking mostly at having our own needs and wants taken care of or we're not really convinced that God can make a change in the world. But the key word here is overcome. Endurance is important, but our vision needs to be for a time when all evil is done and God's kingdom comes to fruition. If you go to the 21st chapter of Revelation, John's great vision, he says, Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a vision of God coming up out of the holy city. And God comes to his people and says, There will be no more dying or crying or death or pain. For everything new has come. And Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. This ambition makes our endurance possible. It makes our hope joyful, our actions meaningful, and our prayers essential. 
I mentioned to you that Paul writes to Romans some 25 years after he had come to faith. But listen to his personal witness some five or six or seven years after that as he writes to Philippians. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived already at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that passion? Do you hear that ambition? Because Paul is still in the midst of witnessing to the guard as he's in prison there in Rome. And he wants everybody to know. And his passion after 30-some years of faith has not flagged a bit. Quick story. Um, my younger son Ben was wrestling his freshman year in high school. And he was in a particular match there. And uh, going into the last period, Ben was behind. We, we knew he was behind on points. The other guy, probably a little bit more technical prowess than Ben. And you could see as Ben came out for that last, that last period, he just had this look on his face. And I said, he's going to do it. And he just went over, he grabbed the guy and threw him down and pinned him. It was it. He wasn't going to be beaten. His passion was, I'm going to make sure I win. I'm going to make sure this happens. Do we have that kind of ambition? Because that's the ambition that brings the, ver the fervor and the zeal. That's the ambition that gets us up in the morning and helps us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Do we have that ambition? This week I've been thinking a lot about the totality uh, of this passage, um, all of Romans 12, but also these verses that we began with today. And I've been wrestling with this question. Which comes first, the attitude of zeal or the practices of hope, patience, and prayer? And my strong answer is, I don't know. But I do know this, that God works in a variety of different ways in our lives. He may work differently in yours than mine. The zeal that I have may empower me to live out these actions. Or the ambition I have may lead me to have that zeal. It may be the same for you. Or it could be that as we engage in those actions, those things that we know we can do, to, to feed our hope, to be patient when the times are troubling, and to be faithful in prayer, those things can create that zeal and that holy ambition. But I do know that we need to want to know God better because we're not going to do this on our own strength. And I hope you understand that I'm not asking you to do this on your own strength or even myself. I've failed way too many times on my own strength to think I can do it. But God can do everything through us. God can make this happen. Throughout the last five weeks, we've learned a lot about ourselves. We've looked at our world and the challenges in it, especially at this time, um, about how we can apply this. And I think we've learned that it's not going to happen unless we aspire to it passionately. So can we look ahead, not just to tomorrow, but also to the new heaven and the new earth? Can we look not only to the actions that we're called to engage in, but can we ask God to create in us a holy ambition for all to come to faith, for evil to be overcome, and to know him so, so well? So I want to see that in my life, and I hope you want to see this in yours. But I want to close with one more story, and I'll confess to you, I know you always hang on every word that I say, and you probably remember everything I've preached on, but I'm going to repeat a story I gave to you two years ago, um, because I think it's important and it fits this. When I was first ordained to ministry, I, I moved to Northern California, and I moved into a mobile home, and uh, I lived there for a year, and Julie and I got married, and we lived there another three years before we left. I knew she loved me because she was willing to live in a trailer with me, uh, which was wonderful. Thank you, hon, for that. But every year, even though it was just California, it doesn't get as cold as here. I had a furnace in the, in the trailer because it got pretty cold there. You're basically looking at a sardine can there, and you need to find ways to heat it up, even in a Northern California winter. And so there was a furnace that you could access from the outside of the trailer. And I always turned it off. I turned the pilot light off in the summertime because it was regularly over 100 degrees where we lived in Vacaville. And I didn't need any more heat, even if it was just a pilot light. So the first couple winters I went in, I consider myself fairly handy, and I lit the pilot light, and it worked very, very well. 
But then that, that third winter, I went in and I lit the pilot light, and the pilot light lit. But for some reason, I couldn't get the furnace to kick on and, and move that heat into the house. There wasn't enough flow, for some reason, for the pilot light to kick into full burn. So I didn't know what to do about it. Um, I went over it a couple times, and I finally called a pro in, and he came and looked at it, and he said, well, the gas line's fine, and, and the heat exchange is clean. He said, I, I got one more thing I'm, in a th I'm thinking of. And he went in, and there's a little orifice where the gas comes in where you light the pilot light. And I don't know if you know this, but spiders love the smell of gas. So he took that little orifice off, and he looked inside. It was no bigger than the end of my little finger. And inside that little orifice was a very, very dense spider web. And it was so dense that it impeded the flow of gas in. So it was enough to light the pilot light, but it wasn't enough to allow the heater, the furnace, to kick on and bring that heat then into the house. So the question I have for you and I is, what is impeding the orifice of your life? Where in your spiritual life are things blocking the flow of God's grace and mercy and peace, and yes, even the fire of the Holy Spirit. And if it is your zeal, then pray to God to increase your zeal. If it's the fact that you're not engaging in the spiritual practices that Paul has taught us today, then by all means, start. Start today. Go into your concordance and look up some verses on hope and on tribulation and pray. And do that every single day. And ask God to create within you a holy ambition that God's kingdom will overcome the challenges and the problems of this world, that you and I will live out that hope with patience, and that you and I will glorify God in all that we do, and that other people will come to faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today that you're empowering us through life. And all the things that the apostle has challenged us to do in Romans 12, we can do because all things are possible in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I pray today, Lord, that if we have never come to faith, that we would ask you to come into our hearts and reside there. I pray, Lord, if we have asked you to be our Lord and Savior, that we would renew that faith, that we would clear out those things that are impeding that growth and that passion, that we will then burn brightly, even as John Wesley prayed, that we will burn brightly for you and our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Whether you joined us via live stream or here in the sanctuary, we're glad you're with us today. Um, after the benediction, if you're here in the sanctuary, would you please remember to let the ushers um, escort you out by rows and to please wear your masks as you leave. 
Friends, this has been a challenge this morning. It's a wonderful challenge. And we remember that we can address that challenge because of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, who accompanies us every day of our lives. And now, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne, to the only wise God be honor, power, majesty, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, go in peace.